good morning. Good morning. How are you doing today? Doing pretty good? Good. It has been a great weekend thus far. Uh, my wife and I, we got to go on a little retreat um, on Friday night over uh, to New Jersey. Have you ever heard of New Jersey? It's just on the, the other side of the, the water there. Um, and uh, we hung out with some other pastors and spouses. And uh, actually, Bobby and Holly Shirley put on the whole thing. And there were pastors and, and spouses from all over New York, like upstate and, and in the city, and even some from New Jersey. And uh, we stayed in a hotel. It was beautiful. And for us, I mean, it was good to get away and be, and be with friends and, and to be encouraged. But it was our first time, like, going overnight with, without having our baby with us. And so... Um, that was actually pretty pretty exciting for us, and I have like a lot of responsibilities. I'm thankful for Caleb; he he watched uh, Macy for us, um, and uh, we didn't we didn't miss her too bad. Is that a problem? <laughs> I don't know if that's a problem. <laughs> maybe the next day we would have got there. If it would have been a two day experience, maybe we we would have got there. But we definitely enjoyed time. It's good uh, to be here with you. I feel refreshed and encouraged uh, to speak uh, to you this morning and, and to get into God's word. Uh, together, we have been uh, in a series. We just begun it a few weeks ago um, in the Gospel of Luke, and the name of this series is Outside In. And the whole idea of what we are looking up, looking at in this uh, particular series is we recognize that the gospel really is for everybody. Like there's an opportunity for everybody to come to faith in Jesus Christ, and so the main theme that we're like we're we're focusing on during this series is that the gospel is good news for the outcast. For those on the outside, and what happens when we when we recognize the, the breadth of the gospel is that is that we become equipped with a, a robust evangelicalism in which the gospel is unleashed, mission is mobilized, and the Christian self-understanding is refined. See, when the gospel transforms the outsider, it causes Christians on the inside to rediscover Jesus. And that's the whole idea, is that we would see... The, the width of the gospel, the breadth of the gospel, and it's for everybody. And we would then rediscover Jesus in the process as we look at Luke's gospel account. Um, we've seen a little bit of an outline for, for this gospel account. We saw that the beginning chapters are really about preparation for ministry. Um, then as we jump in chapter 4, which we will be today, we see Jesus' public ministry begin in Galilee. And then... In chapter 9, on the way to Jerusalem, there's ministry that takes place as Jesus encounters people's lives, and you see people's lives changed forever. And then finally, in chapters 19 through 24, we see the ministry in Jerusalem, and it's all about Jesus and his grace for the outsiders, and the, and the breadth of the gospel is for everybody. Um, as we come today, we come to chapter 4, and we, and we see uh, the birth of Jesus has already been foretold. Um, Mary visits Elizabeth, and then there's the birth of John and the birth of Jesus in chapters 1 and 2. And then in chapter 3, uh, we see Jesus, he, he, goes in, he, he is baptized, and he goes into the wilderness and faces temptation. And so we pick up the story after those accounts here in chapter 4, where he begins his ministry in Galilee in his hometown, Nazareth. And my friend Haley is going to come and read for us today, um, beginning in chapter 4. And uh, as he comes and gets ready, um, we're going to pray and ask the Lord to bless our time uh, together. Father, we thank you that you are here in this place with us. I pray that in these moments that uh, we, we would quiet all other voices, even the voice of our own flesh would be quieted so that we may listen to you, so that we may hear, and that we may obey. I pray this all in the strong name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. 
came to Nazareth, where, where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling scroll, then rolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set free the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, today, as you listen, the scripture has been fulfilled. They were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came out from his mouth. Yet they said, isn't, he, isn't this Joseph's son? When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They got up, drove him out of town, and brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on, intending to hurl him over the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. On 47th Street and 9th Avenue, there is a shuttered building where a Starbucks once, sent, once sat. And on this uh, shuttered building, there's been a, a, a ton of graffiti artists that have come and, and made their way and, and, and have decorated this building with their, their art. Um, there have been homages to, uh, to Dolly Parton, uh, one also to Betty White. Um, just recently now, there you can go and see it today, there's a bunch of different colored hearts that are on the side of the building, and it's done by an artist called Hectad, and he is actually uh, from Hell's Kitchen. In a West 42nd Street magazine, uh, Chris LeBron, who is a community board member and a friend of Sarah and mine, um, said this when he saw this new artwork that was made by Hectad on this particular building on 47th and 9th. He said, great, same old stuff. Talking about all the graffiti artists that have come and put all their stuff on this particular wall. But then I realized it was a childhood friend from 47th Street, and I was relieved. I've known Hectad forever. If anyone is more appropriate to beautify or address a problem in Hell's Kitchen, it's someone from Hell's Kitchen. A hometown artist comes home and, and paints a mural. As we look at this text today, we see a hero that has come home to Nazareth. And he is received pretty well here at the beginning. They are excited about him being there, that he has shown up in the place where he is born and raised. And you can only imagine that on this particular Sabbath, that as they go to the synagogue, like it's going to be packed out because Jesus is going to worship. And you can imagine just crowds following him into this place, excited to see him, excited to hear from him, excited to see him even perform possibly miracles. And here he is. Finally, he's come home to this synagogue in Nazareth, and he is going to get up and read scripture and preach. As he preaches, it says to us in Luke 4, verse 20 and 22, that the eyes were fixed upon him. Everyone in the synagogue was fixed upon him, and he began saying to them, today, as you listen, 
this scripture has been fulfilled. And they were all speaking well of him. This was good stuff. Here he is teaching to them. They're, the hero that they have heard about has now come home, and he's, and he's teaching, and this is good stuff. And they were amazed by his words. What words? His gracious words that came from his mouth. And they said, isn't this Joseph's son? It's been said of Nazareth, what good can come from Nazareth? And here they are excited. Well, this is the answer. Jesus himself has come from Nazareth, Joseph's son. And here they are amazed at what he is saying. His gracious words, their eyes were fixed upon him. There's probably a, a packed out synagogue hanging on every word that he is saying. Now, an order of service actually looks a little bit different in this context in a way than maybe what we are used to. And so what probably happens in, in this moment is that they, they start or begin with a singing from Psalm 145 to 150. That's how the worship usually begins in this particular setting. Following the singing then is, the, is a recitation of the Shema, which begins with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one God, the Lord is one. After the Shema, there is then 18 benedictions that are giving, given to the people. Aren't you happy that I just give you one at the end of the service? If we did 18 of them, you might be late to lunch. Um, but here we see in the middle of the service, 18 benedictions that are given back to back. Following the benediction then is the reading of the scripture. So an officer of the holy ark, he goes and he takes the, the Torah, the scroll, and removes its cloth covering and opens it and begins to read or hands it to the person then that is going to read. In this particular case, it is Jesus. More than likely, they have got together before the worship service. They pulled together and he has selected Isaiah to be read, to be pulled out and to be unrolled. And then Jesus himself, he begins to read from the book of Isaiah, probably then a passage that he selects because he wants to speak some particular words to his hometown people today. And they are amazed at the reading. They are amazed at the teaching. And then there is a sudden shift. Verse 28, we see something take place that kind of catches us off guard because all these people were so excited to see him. They were looking forward to, to what he had to talk. They were looking forward to the words that he was going to speak. And now in verse 28, it says, When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They got up, they drove him out of town, and they brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on there in Nazareth and intending to hurl him over the cliff to, to kill him. But he passed right through the crowd, and he went on his way. So the question really is, what took place in this moment? For them to be so excited about who Jesus was, to embrace who Jesus was, and then as he begins to speak to them, and they hear his amazing words, things begin to shift where they aren't so excited about Jesus anymore. They aren't so excited about what he is saying to them. Matter of fact, they are enraged. And they want nothing to do with him. They want to put him away and they want to forget what he has said. So let's take a moment to see what Jesus has said to 
these people in Nazareth because I think it's something that he also is saying to us today. There's two stories that he tells in Luke 4. Jesus, he tells these two stories after he reads, and then he does a, a little bit of teaching, and now he's working on some application, the application of his message. And in doing so, he tells these two stories of, of two people that they would have more than likely known from their reading of Scripture. Luke 4, verse 24, is where he, he begins he also said, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say to you, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's day when the sky was shut up for three years and six months while a great famine came over all the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them except a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. In verse 27, this is the beginning of the second story. And in the prophet Elijah's time, there were many in Israel who had leprosy. And yet not one of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. This is a difficult thing to reflect upon. You have a, a woman at, at Sidon that is a widow that is there during the days of Elijah in a famine. And then you have Naaman the Syrian who is a, a captain of an army that has leprosy. And they were the only ones by, that were healed during this day of Elijah. They were the only ones that received the grace of God. Many weren't healed during those days. Many weren't fed during those days. Only this widow and only Naaman. The problem is that Sidon is a place that you do not go. Sidon was full of idols. You know Jezebel? That's where she comes from. You don't go to Sidon. The people in Sidon should not be ministered to by God. They're not worthy. They are, they are outsiders. And this woman, this widow in Sidon, she is made, it's made sure by Elijah that her, her oil and her flour does not run dry. This woman that lives in a pagan city that probably has nothing to do with God. Naaman, he was the captain of the Syrian army, an army that literally fought against God's people. He was the enemy leader. He was a leper, and he was healed by God. He's not supposed to be healed. There were many lepers of that day, and they were not healed. Many lepers within the people of God, and they were not healed. But Naaman, the enemy captain, was healed. There's no way that grace should be applied to these people. They aren't worthy. They don't deserve for God to show up in their lives and to change their lives. This was a problem for the people in Nazareth. They were all about God's grace for themselves. They were amazed at the gracious words that Jesus was teaching. But the moment that they were beginning to think about grace for the outsider, they had wanted nothing to do with it. No. You're talking about people that don't deserve it. I can't believe, Jesus, you would, you would even bring this up. This is not what we want to be about. 
this is not what you should be about. So we don't accept you or your ministry, and we want to be done with it. What Jesus is doing here is he's beginning to expose a huge problem that the people in Nazareth, they, they have. It's not, it's not just that they had difficulty with his ministry of grace to others. The, the real problem here is that they were having difficulty believing in grace for themselves. You see, they were stuck in what I would call law-based thinking. Their whole world was built around doing the rules, following the rules, and getting rewarded for doing a good job. Law-based thinking. We see this in verse 23, before Jesus begins to, to tell these stories. He said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me, doctor, heal yourself. What we've heard to, that took place in Capernaum, do here in your hometown also. Uh, we, we understand that this is like the way that Luke has structured his, his gospel account here in Luke 4 is like the, the inauguration moment where Jesus stands up as the anointed one. And this is the beginning of his, of, of his public ministry here in, in Luke's account. But, but what we also understand is that more than likely he has already done some miracles. Um, we, we see them thinking about or talking about what has taken place in Capernaum outside of Nazareth, in another Galilean town, there's, there, there's been a miracle or some miracles that have already taken place. And now, as Jesus shows up, they expect him to do the same thing in his hometown because they deserve it. This is their hometown boy that is now a miracle worker and a great teacher. And this is Jesus that they grew up with. I mean, people were expecting Jesus to, to work for them. People are probably thinking, Jesus, I, I picked you up when, when Mary was sick. I picked you up and took you to synagogue. I, I've done some great things for you. I cared for your family. When, when you couldn't make ends meet between you and Joseph and your carpentry business, I, I was making sure that you were taken care of. Jesus, I, I helped raise you. Jesus, I, I was one of your best friends. We, we hung out all the time. We, we memorized scripture together. We were like best buds. You owe me. Showing up here in this place, you feel like that sometimes? Jesus, I, I mean, I've done so much for you. I, I, do, do you know what I sacrificed for you? Like There, there are things in my life that, that just... Don't feel like, like you're paying attention to me and all the things that I have done for you. And I'm going through it. And you, you owe me. You're obligated to show up in my life and minister and do miracles and work in me. There's no doubt that God loves us and he wants to minister to us. We need to check our motives. Because this is law-based thinking. If I do the right thing, then God's going to reward me. If I perform correctly, then God's going to reward me. I don't know if you've uh, done your, your taxes yet. I hope you have. Um, 
it took us a, a lot longer than we thought it would. <clears throat> we got like three people on the phone trying to figure out the mess of our, our situation and all of that. Um, as you're, if you're a minister, like doing taxes is always weird. Um, but but we, we finally think, I think we figured it out. We sent it in and uh, we, we were praying for the best, <laughs> right? Um, and we got back $28. Um, that, was, that was what we made back uh, from, from our taxes this year. Maybe you owed some taxes, right? Um, but, but here's the thing, when you, when, you, when you do your taxes, like it's by law, when you submit them, you get owed money or you owe money, right? There's, there's an obligation there, right? Law always comes with obligation. That's the thing. When we are thinking that way, we are thinking as law keepers. When we think about what God is obligated to do for us. Grace is about freedom. That is, it doesn't even, it's not even about what you do. It wasn't about what the, the woman in Sidon did. It wasn't about what the, the Captain Naaman did. It wasn't about those people. It was about what God wanted to do. I, I love, I've heard this said before. I love this idea, this definition of grace is that grace is God's free will. God, think about that for a moment. We, we often talk about, our, do we have free will? We predestined. Grace is God's free will. He's not obligated to love anyone, but he does, and he loves everybody. Grace is God's free will to show up wherever he wants to show up and to do whatever he wants to do, and he has no restrictions, and he's not obligated to anyone. He's just going to show up because he himself is good. We experience God's grace. Because he lives in freedom. The question is, do we live in freedom? Are we still in this place of, of trying to keep the law, of trying to do good, of trying to, to prove that we are somehow worth it? Here's the thing. God wants to show grace to others freely, and he wants us to show grace to others freely. When we're talking about the gospel being for the outsider, we're, we're hoping to encourage a, a type of mission where we will go anywhere to share the gospel and to anyone. But before we think about freely sharing the, the gospel, we need to make sure that we are personally experiencing his freedom. You, you can't show grace if you haven't stepped into grace. You can't offer people freedom if you haven't been freed yourself. And many times when we start putting up walls and restrictions and those type of things, it's because we've fallen back into old ways of thinking. This is only for the special people. You got to do something to get God's love. Something. When we think about all the things that we've done. That's not what grace is. And that's not what Jesus is talking about here in this particular, day, on this particular day, in this particular moment here at the synagogue. He is preaching. He is teaching about freedom. You see the, the passage that he actually picks from Isaiah. It's read for us here in verse 18. Luke 4 verse 18 says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to 
proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, just to give you a little bit of context to what's going on here is that in ancient Israel, there was a system set in place that every seven years, all of the debts that anyone had were forgiven. All of your debts were forgiven every seven years. Not only that, if you were in slavery and some type of slave labor, you were now every seven years, you were a free person. Usually someone has put themselves in slavery because they're trying to pay off their debts. And so because every seven years your debts were forgiven, all slaves were then released. And then in the 50th year, a trumpet would sound. And on the sounding of the trumpet, all land was returned to the, to the original owner. Many times what happened is when you needed money, you would sell off pieces of your land. And then every 50 years, your land was given back to you. You're set free from all the debts that you owe. Sounds like a pretty good system to be a part of, right? Yep, maybe. It depends if you're the one that, that has a lot of debt or, or if you're the one that did a lot of lending, right? If you did the lending, you kind of, you don't want that, that 50 year, you don't want that seven year thing to happen, right? You want to remain rich, you want to remain wealthy, you want to remain in power. But for those that were in much debt, this was sweet freedom for them. Let me ask you though, how many times in Israel's history do you think that the trumpet was sounded? Zero. Not once. You see, for this to actually work, you've got to live in a culture where you actually love God and you love neighbor as yourself. And that's not existed in any culture in the history of the world. We've all lived in a culture where it's about ourselves. Get in power, stay in power, stay wealthy, right? And don't let anybody take it from you. That's usually the MO of our world that we, we live in. So the trumpet, it never sounded until this day where Jesus showed up. And what does he say? The spirit of the Lord is on me because he anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to all those who've been in debt. I've got freedom for you. He has sent me to proclaim release to, to the captives. All those in slavery are now going to be set free because of me and recovery of the sight of the blind, to set the free oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The trumpet sounded that day. These people, they were hanging on every word that he was saying because they were from Nazareth. Anybody know anything about Nazareth? Not really. It's a small town out in Galilee somewhere in the woods. Nothing fancy about Nazareth. These were poor people. And these were people that would love to have a fresh start. And Jesus shows up. And he says, the trumpet is sounding. Freedom is here. But they didn't understand that Jesus was speaking about an entirely new kingdom. 
and what they were used to. This wasn't just about economic freedom for them. This was about something much more. You see, what happens in Jesus' ministry is that he begins to point to the cross. The cross is the place where we who have sin in our lives have been bankrupt before God. We owe so much debt to God for all of the things that we have done that have not honored him and have not pleased him and have been out of line with him. We owe so much to him, but the cross says, forgiven. You are free from any debts that you owe to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. For those of us that have walked in sin, have not followed after Jesus, we are held bound to the powers of this world, to the prince of this world, to the enemy himself. The enemy of God has us captive, has us bound up. But the cross is the place where Jesus overcomes death. And in doing so, he overcomes the enemy, the one who sought to kill him. He rises again three days and he says to the captives, you are free from any of, of the enemy's hold on you. You now walk in a new life that is given to you. Freedom in Jesus Christ. And for those of us looking for our own land, looking for a fresh start, we've been singing about it today. We who are children of God, who have been set free, there's a place for us. <laughs> That's way better than anything that you can hold on to in this world. This world, we're just passing through. And we're trying to take as many people with us as we can. But there's a place for us that Jesus himself is preparing. And we're going to share it with them as we are stepping into this truth. And he's done all the work for all of that by going to the cross. It cost him greatly, did it not? Our Jesus, what he does as he goes to the cross is that he absorbs all of the debts that we owe within himself. He becomes captive on our behalf. And everything that he owns is stripped from him. And he is hung there as a criminal. Not even a tomb. He didn't have his own tomb to be laid in. Everything was taken from him. He stepped into our place so that we can step into his. So what is our response to what Jesus has done for us? What does it look like for us to respond today? I want to encourage you in this. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. I want you to say two verses. In, in comparison here, verse 20, chapter 4, verse 20, it says this. He then rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed upon him. Now compare that to verse 30. Verse 30. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his this is when they were trying to kill him. 
He just, I don't know, he just passed right through the crowd. And he went on his, they, they lost him. Their eyes were no longer upon him. What happened between verse 20 and verse 30 is they took their eyes off Jesus and they began putting their eyes upon themselves. Wait, 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 wait. Jesus, you've done all this stuff for all these other people. And you're talking about ministering to the outsiders. Look what I've done for you. Look at me and what I have done for you. The moment that we begin to look at ourselves and all the accomplishments that we have done, all the performance that we have performed is the moment we begin to take our eyes off Jesus and what he has done for us. See, the gospel is never about us earning our way. The gospel is about him paying the way. It's grace. It's God's free will to you. He's freed up to love you regardless what you've done. He's freed up. You can't keep him from loving you. He does it because he lives in freedom. And he's inviting you to step into freedom with him. I want to invite Hannah and Jane to come into play. And as I do, I want to think about that mural that's on 47th and 9th. Um, if, if you want to check it out at church, it's only a couple blocks away. Hectad there has painted his work. I recently read an article about him from Mark Miller. And uh, he says that Hectad has a, a unique standalone talent and is an edgier street version of Andy Warhol. He says he's an artist who uses vibrant colors conveying dynamically creative and constructive energy communicating and fostering love encouragement and optimism that engage the viewer well jesus too has a edgy unique approach as he begins to minister to people in this book that we may not think he should be ministering to <laughs> he surprises us with his grace he surprises us how freed up he is to love even the furthest out. But he's got a message that is much more than just fostering optimism. He's got a message of transformation where we step into freedom. I'm going to ask you today, are you a person that is walking in the freedom that Christ has given you? Are you experiencing it for yourself? You want to know a good way to know? <laughs> Are you sharing grace with others? Maybe one of your friends, maybe a coworker, maybe a spouse, like, man, just really is, did something that totally messed you up. Like, you're just, ah. You don't want any part of what they got to offer to you. You aren't being gracious to them. And it could be a picture of you not receiving the grace of God. And realizing how much he has done for you. May we be a people that extend grace 
We're freed up to extend grace to everybody because God has extended grace and his freedom to us. Would you take a moment to bow your head and assume a posture of prayer? And I've got a, a few questions just to ask you this morning. And I'm not going to answer them for you. I'm going to invite you to listen to the Holy Spirit who can help answer these for you. First question, how are you keeping your eyes upon Jesus? What does it look like for you to keep your eyes upon Jesus? Second question, where have you made demands from Jesus as if he is obligated to you? Where have you made demands from Jesus as if he is obligated to you and you are the one calling the shots? Third question, how do you need to rediscover the grace of Jesus? How do you need to rediscover the grace of Jesus? And lastly, are you experiencing the freedom that Jesus offers today? Maybe for someone in here, this is the first time that you've processed what the cross means. Maybe you've heard it time and time again, but this is like the, the, one of the first moments where you've understood like what Jesus has done for you and for me on the cross. I, I want to invite you just to put your faith in Jesus. It's just a simple prayer. Say, Jesus, I thank you for the cross. Thank you for what you've done. I'm putting my faith in the work of the cross. If that's you today, I'd love to talk with you. I'm going to be in the back by the welcome flag. If you need prayer, if anybody here needs prayer during this time, um, we're going to have our staff are going to be in, in the back and while we sing this song. And we would love to meet with you, pray for you, pray for anything. Maybe you're going through something. Maybe, maybe um, you, you need a new job. Maybe there's something going on in your life. You just need prayer for it. We'd love to pray for you uh, during this time. And so our staff will be in the back as we uh, begin to sing here. So just make your way there. Jesus, we thank you that you have shown up in our lives and you have sounded the trumpets. And this is the year of the Lord because you have brought with you a new kingdom where we are set free with you. Thank you for your grace. It lets us run into your freedom and to be with our God who freely loves all we be more and more like Jesus hanging on the every word that he speaks his words are amazing and gracious may we keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus we thank you Christ for showing up in our lives and being gracious to us praise in Jesus name amen